0: series right now in the book of Proverbs looking at the wisdom of God and we've defined wisdom as being skilled in the art of godly living or skilled in the art of godly relationships and so this morning we're talking about wisdom as it applies to work wisdom as it applies to work we talked about wealth last week we've looked at humility and pride uh, we've looked at the fact that just wisdom itself is founded upon the fear of the Lord. Uh, that's a theme that runs throughout uh, that as it is this idea of being skilled in the art of godly relationships, that it, it's founded most significantly on the relationship with the Lord. And in your uh, Bibles, oftentimes you'll see the Lord in all caps, in the small caps. And that is uh, the Hebrew word Yahweh. And it's this personal name for God, the God who says, I will be your God and you will be my people. So it's more than just God, uh, the creator, that includes that. It is a personal God who wants personal relationship with his people. And so we find ourselves, and how does that apply then to work? How do we think about work and wisdom? And, and even as I say that, you have different ideas in your mind already about what work is. And we'll, we'll take a moment to define, but I, I think about sometimes the the futility sometimes that work feels like, or the difficulty that work is. I, I, as a student in ninth grade, in our math class, we had this project, and the project was to build a bridge out of dried spaghetti noodles and glue. So you designed and built a bridge, and there were two awards that were given, and one was for the prettiest bridge, the most beautiful bridge, and the other was for the one that held the most weight. And so what that meant was if you didn't win for the most beautiful bridge, which I did not, uh, then you put a weight on the bridge and just kept adding more until it was destroyed, right? So you put all this work into the bridge and then it gets destroyed. Uh, and that, that feels sometimes like the work that we do, right? I mean, maybe it's just going out and weeding in your garden and then just a few months later, oh, well, you have to do that again. And uh, I hate yard work. And- <laughs> Weeding is terrible, right? And, and we're going to talk about the fact that it's the effects of the fall. Uh, and we, we know from Genesis three eighteen that thorns enter into the work that we're called to do. But I, I think as we move forward, it's helpful to think about what work is. Uh, David Miller in his book about work says, he defines work in this way after giving a much broader explanation. He describes it as a sustained exercise of strength and skill that overcomes obstacles to produce or accomplish something. So strength and skills applied to uh, obstacles to produce or accomplish something. Now, I think it's helpful for us to recognize that work encompasses a lot of things. We, we quickly go to our job as work. If we, if we have a job, that's what we go to. But let me encourage us to think beyond that. It, it, it certainly includes that, but it includes, uh, for a lot of uh, us in the room, it includes being a student, studying, learning. It includes uh, engaging in maybe a team, a sports team that we've joined in with. We, we work at that. It includes being a part of a family. We work at being husbands and wives and parents and children. We, we work at uh, being a homeowner or even being a renter. There's work that's involved with that. There's work involved in being a part of a community. There are many aspects of our lives that we are uh, called to and in which we should work in. And so I think it's helpful for us to think more broadly than our job, though that is certainly a part of work. We should think more broadly than that as we look at work. We're going to see three things. We're going to look at this from three different angles. If we have talked about Uh, The story of scripture as a church, we've given the outline on multiple occasions that the story of the Bible can be summed up in creation, fall, redemption, glorification. All of the Bible in those categories. Creation, Genesis 1 and 2. Fall, Genesis 3. Redemption, most of the whole story. And then the promise of what is to come that we find particularly promised in the end of Revelation, but also in some other spots. That is the story of the Bible. And so we want to see work in light of creation, fall, redemption. Those are the focuses that we're going to have. We're going to take it out of order. So let me pray for us, and then we'll get, we'll get started. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to the truth of your word. You would meet us here in this time, that you would transform the way that we think about work, that we might think about it in a more healthy way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The order that we're going to take this in is fall, Creation, redemption, fall is essentially work is hard. Work is, is difficult. It's messy. Uh, it, is, it does not go the way that we want it to. So often, we, we find here in 15:19 uh, this reference to the thorns that we experience in work, and it does apply to the sluggard here, uh, to the to the lazy, to the to the slack. But it, it applies for all of us. We know this. Even when we're working hard, we, we encounter thorns in our work. And that comes in all kinds of different ways. That work is hard. We, we build something and it gets broken. We, we do things that are hard. Even just like being a student, think about learning is difficult, right? I, I have unfortunate, distinct memories of Latin in eighth grade. And I did not do well to the point that I had to get a tutor To work harder, I I would like to think, you know, to say it's all the teacher's fault. I had a terrible teacher. It was his fault. It wasn't my fault. Uh, Probably not the case. Um, But a lot of learning is that way. And different ones of us struggle with different subjects. Just getting new information into our head is is difficult. And it takes work to do. To be a good student is, is hard. And that's just one of the ways in which we experience difficulty. Things go wrong. And, and sometimes it's because of sin that somebody has uh, committed, but sometimes it's just things are messy, and we live in a, in a messy world, and things don't work out the way that we want them to. I think about a job that I had doing data entry at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in Memphis, and uh, I was looking at medical records from, like, decades in the past, and they would be either too difficult to read, or things would be missing, and just what wouldn't go like we wanted to go, to be able to do the thing that we wanted to do, of the... Uh, supplying that information to the researchers to be able to move forward, right? Like it just wasn't there, and that was difficulty that we face in our work. We, we could all like circle up and talk about the difficulty that we've experienced in our work life, and we also experience that difficulty when we encounter other people, <laughs> because other people are broken and sinful, have rebelled against God, but also have just limitations, and so. We, we butt up against the brokenness of other people in our work. And I, I think about another job that I had, I was valeting cars at the Children's Hospital of uh, Colorado, and I got accused of stealing a guy's medicine. It was medicine before uh, marijuana was legal recreationally in Colorado, it was just medicinal, and the car just reeked of it uh, as he, he should even when it's legal, you're not supposed to do it in the car. I've just been having a lot in the car with the kids. It was sad, but the guy accused. Me, he came back and he accused me of stealing his medicine. And uh, it was, I was fortunate enough that the people I was working with knew that it was the guy who had parked the car and not me. But this is that's just an example of dealing with the mess of people, right? Like it doesn't. I, we we wanted to just supply a service to somebody who's bringing their kid to the hospital. And we, we deal with the sin of other people. So it's helpful, though, to note and to remember in the midst of that that our work is, is deeply connected to others. We, we live in this time where we think about work, we tend to think about work as just our job. And that's an incredibly personal thing so that we... Uh, we get to choose what we do and how we do it, and it's all about earning money for me and then able to spend it like I want to. It's all this really personal stuff. We, we see throughout scripture that everything is really interconnected uh, relationally. 10 verse five, the, he who gathers in the summer is a prudent son. There's this relationship, father, son, but he who sleeps in the harvest is a son who brings shame. There are consequences and, and shame we... we have often talked about some of the the negative ways in which we understand shame, the unhelpful ways in which we experience shame in this world. But here we're not going to have time to go into all of that except to say that there are relational implications for our mess. There are relational implications for the way in which we uh, relate to one another. And so we have to see everything that we do and all of our work is actually connected to other people. So, we, we, uh, we know this is true. We think about that and we, when we make decisions about who we're really who we work with really matters. And I've had a number of friends in my life that I consider really good friends and have made the comment, yeah, we probably shouldn't work together. Right? Work is relational. A lot of what we do is, is relational. And as a result, temptations come. Temptations to think about and approach work in unhelpful ways come. And We find it in Proverbs mostly, or maybe just the the most often, is this reminder, this challenge, not to essentially be lazy, slack. Sluggard is the language that's used that we find even here. The way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, chapter 15. Uh, And then the contrast is given, but the path of the upright is a level highway. Or we find uh, the slack hand causes poverty, 10 verse 4. But the hand of the diligent makes rich. There is this challenge uh, not to enter into uh, this world in essentially a lazy fashion. We we might have all heard at some point in our lives, Proverbs 6, and it's not in the worship guide, but Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. And then how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When, you arise, when will you arise from your sleep? Um, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. There's this consider the ant. Think about the ant who works even without somebody telling them what to do. This is actual encouragement to us. And one of the things that, that we should appreciate about this passage is it's, it's calling somebody to faithfulness. It's not leaving them there. It's Uh, there's a call to to faithfulness. One of the things that I love about the schools that my kids have been to is there's a constant conversation about uh, helping our kids advocate for themselves. Here we have the aunt uh, working without any chief or officer or ruler. There's some level at which we take responsibility for ourselves and we move forward and work because there's a temptation to go the other direction. There's a temptation to essentially be lazy. Why, why is that? Well, Let's, let's be honest, we like being comfortable. And if work is hard, which we've already talked about, we'll talk about more in a second. If work is, is hard, then uh, why engage it if we don't have to? Or if, if it's uncomfortable, if it makes me uncomfortable, we'll go to great lengths actually to avoid it. Uh, in chapter 22, verse 13 of Proverbs, there, there's the, the sluggard essentially saying, I, I don't want to go out to work because a lion might kill me in the streets. We make these crazy excuses, right? Like, I'm not going to go out and work because I might get hit by a truck. It's because we uh, enjoy our comfort. This is a, a challenge for us. Now, there, there are two possibilities here uh, at this point. or There are probably multiple scale of possibilities. But one, you might be thinking, uh, this is not a temptation for me at all. And I can't believe those sluggards and those lazy people. Or you might feel some conviction, I should think about. I hope it's uh, conviction uh, and not shame, not uh, this is who I am, but, uh, but a call to then move forward in faithfulness. But as we think about this reality, we have to recognize as well that there's a temptation on the other end. And, and the, the next temptation is actually, I feel like, more common in our circles. Because... It, it's not acceptable to be a sluggard. Like, that's not something that people want to admit. I struggle with being lazy. Even saying that is, is uh, it's not something that you want to tell somebody. It is seen as very negative. But to say, you know what, I struggle with overwork, that, that has almost become like a brag. <laughs> because we live in this world that is, is uh, such a, at least attempts to be, a meritocracy, that is where our value is based on what we accomplish, what we're able to do. That that we that we think that overwork. That's not that big a deal. It's actually probably a, a benefit, right? Um, you, you know the the whole classic. You're in an interview, and what's your biggest weakness? Uh, I'm just too hard a worker, right? Like you say my weakness is that I, I tend to overwork. That's like that's like actually most people think of as a humble brag. Um, I I'm actually. Just the best. Right. We don't think of overwork as uh, as uh, sin as really a a temptation is a a difficulty. And yet that's exactly what it is, Um, because, well, there are a number of reasons. Let me just note first uh, some of the pointing to this here in chapter 10, verse five. There is this picture of the diligent one who's going to be made rich in verse four gathers in the summer, is the prudent son, the one who gathers in the summer. There's a picture here of working smart or wise. It's not just all the time, working really hard to, to no end. There is particular times where we're called to, to work. There was the warning of, against uh, sleep at the wrong times that I read from Proverbs 6. But there's also a value in, uh, in sleep itself in chapter 4, verse 16. We we see David as well being able to rest when he is secure in the Lord. He says this multiple times in the Psalms that when he is able to rest, to lie down because uh, because he is secure in the Lord, there is value in rest. In fact, we know from the beginning, from creation, we have this rest pattern, the Sabbath. God works. God is one who values work. And yet after he works, he rests and then he calls us to do the same. There is value in rest. Our problem is that we're tempted to this for a number of reasons. Maybe it's just we want to make a lot of money. We want to be wealthy. If we go back to last week's sermon to think about where money, where finances, where wealth fits into our, the way that we think about the world. But it certainly shouldn't be our main goal. Maybe we do it for reputation. We think if I work really hard, I'm an overworker. That's my struggle. You know, people are going to think a lot of us. They're going to... They're going to think that we bring value to the table. But ultimately, we're working for righteousness. And that could be righteousness, that is rightness, that we've got it together, that we're doing the right thing. And that could be whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. You're striving to earn, to earn your position, to earn your justification for being, for living, that Maybe it's in terms of my good might outweigh my bad. Maybe it's in terms of just the simply that I would have value. And we often, particularly because of the way that our culture works, we try to do that through work. That's where we find value. And, and then maybe we do it as a distraction. We're tempted to overwork because it's a distraction from the other things that we're called to. And in that, in that situation, that almost always applies to our job. Work applied to our job. And narrowly applied to our job so that we don't think about the hard work that we do in our other callings in life family, neighborhood, church, um, all of those places, right? We're called to work hard in all of those places. And so ultimately, we need to think about our work to evaluate and to ask ourselves what's my temptation? Am I, am I tempted more toward laziness or toward overwork? Or am I moving toward wisdom? What would it look like to move in that direction? One of the ways that I think we need to recognize that, we, we, I started with fall because when we think about work, maybe this is what pops into our head the most, that it's, it's hard, it's messy. But sometimes we think that's where our understanding of work begins. But the second point is through the lens of creation. And that is that work is good. All of it is good. Twenty-seven, verse eighteen, the last verse here in the worship guide. Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who guards his master will be honored. He who guards his master will be honored. This is the servant, the guard is is the one in the low position. This is not a position of, of honor. That that it, he's going to be honored, but it's not a position. It's not a work of in and of itself. That in that culture the. The master is the one who's honored. And we, we experience this now, right? There's certain positions, CEOs and uh, really accomplished people. Like we, we would have our list of who's really accomplished. And those have value. And then they're the, the, the lesser, more menial jobs. And, and yet what we have here is that the, the job that is of lower nature, when it is, when it is done, is honored. There's a, there's a contrast here. It's not what you would think to read. It's not as they would have originally read it, the way that they would have understood it. There's a a picture here of all of work having value, not just the jobs that we might give more prestige in our culture, the ones often that make more money or have more influence. We think that's where value is. Or in the church, we might think if we think about these things in relationship to the Lord and our relationship with him, we think, oh, there's certain spiritual jobs well, obviously, I'm the pastor. I'm in this great position, right? That, that is not at all what we get from Scripture. There is value in all jobs. Now, I'll give a caveat here. There are immoral jobs. And uh, I won't list all those. We do need to think about the fact that there are jobs that are, uh, do not bring any goodness into the world and often bring evil into the world. Ones that uh, traffic in vice and uh, addiction and all kinds of things. Um, and we can have different conversations about different jobs and whether they're actually healthy jobs to do. But m- many jobs, if they're not immoral, there's value to those jobs. And they're not based on how much money is made or how much influence is had, that there is value in all of them. All of life is worship. We have our announcements, that's what they are, right? Yet yeah, we title it in our worship guide Life is Worship. Because it's this picture that we're called as created beings to step into the world that God has created and to step into it in a way that he's called us to in order that we might flourish And all of life is worship. Romans 12, verse 1 says, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to him. Everything that we do, there's this picture in Romans 1 and 2 that, that all of life is offered in worship to him, this spiritual act of service. There's something significant about Sunday morning worship, corporate worship that I think that we're called into. And yet all of life is worship. And that certainly applies to our jobs. And it flows from, to even take it a step further back, is it flows from a God who values work. God himself entered into this world and worked so that he needed rest after he created the world on the seventh day. He worked six days and then he rested. He worked. He's a God who himself works. works. And he values it. And then when he created the world, not only did he himself work, he created the world for Adam and Eve. He put them in the garden to work it. Chapter 2, verse 15 of Genesis. So when God created the world, before the fall came, when everything was still good, he says, Here you are, work in the garden. Work is something that is good, foundationally good in the creation before the fall entered in. That is not a part of a lot of other stories. Other religions where were gods would never work, they're, they're just above it all, right? Or the story, you know, Greek mythology in Pandora's box. So everything was, was good until Pandora's box gets opened up. And what's in Pandora's box I mean, we think about vice and evil and war and toil. But also included there is the need to work for sustenance. Work is innately a bad thing, In a lot of worldviews. But in the scripture, work is innately good. And even the the most basic work. We think about God coming and the the position that holds value. He didn't come as a, we we would probably think he's going to come as a theologian or a philosopher. He comes and he's a carpenter. He makes things with his hands. God himself, a carpenter, working a very normal, manual job. Work is innately valuable and good. We, we, we need to think about our work in light of this reality. It, it has a lot of brokenness because of the fall, but it, in and it of itself is something that we should rejoice in, the opportunity to work. And again, that's applying not just to our jobs, not just to the way that we make money, but to all of the different callings that we have in life, relationships and uh, things that we, places we live and inhabit, places where we uh, enter into relationships, all of life, we're called to work in a way that. Third point, because of the fall, we find ourselves in a place where work can be redeeming, and we're, we're invited in the midst of it to being redeeming is to rethink the story, to re-narrate our own story. Work isn't just our job, it's not just something that we as individuals do to earn money. It is something that we, in fact, uh, our, all of our individuality, which our cult- culture often tells us is the highest value. Your individual desires and uh, the things that you want to do, even in your, in your work. The, if you want real fulfillment, you fulfill your individual desires. The Bible tells us that our individual desires, our individual selfishness is a part of the problem. So we need to see work in relationship to others. We need to see it not just in relationship to ourselves, but into relationship with one another. But even before one another, we see it in relationship to the Lord, to Yahweh, to the God who says, I will be your God and you will be my people. He's calling us into wisdom here. And he's calling us to see that our work is relational and every bit of it is relational. Even those parts that aren't directly relating to another person. They're creating something or providing a service we doing something that somebody's going to interact with. If we're doing work that is just for us, it's, it's not really work. If nobody else sees it or interacts with it or, or experiences you differently because of it, everything we do is relational. Starting first and foremost with the fact that God is the one who created this world. We've talked about the Proverbs and the idea of wisdom being that we uh, live in a world that God created and he's invited us into. And so wisdom is being stepping into that more and more, recognizing that we have the opportunity to be in relationship with the Lord who wants us to flourish and is telling us, hey, this is how the world works. I mean, just like the Easleys and Ferns are going to be constantly over the next year, years telling their kids, this is how the world works. Part of that is understanding that the way that the world works, ultimately, not just the physical world, but the spiritual and moral world is affected by the way that God created it. And he's telling us that here. This is how it works. Our work is related to him, the creator and sustainer. In verse three of chapter 10, the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry. He, this is his, he's in control. We remember that wisdom is founded. That the basis of wisdom is fear of the Lord. And we talk about that every week in this wisdom series, and we don't have time to go into all the depths of fear of the Lord. It's not just being scared of the Lord, but it's being in right relationship with the creator who wants again to be in relationship with us. It's about others. So we've already seen this connection between parents and kids and the effect that our work has on one another. There's a a documentary called 20 Feet from Stardom, and it follows backup singers and how they do their job, right? And there's a particular interview with one backup singer that she says, essentially, if I do my job well, then nobody will notice me, and the star will will do better, look better, sing better, perform better, everything about it will be better, but nobody will even notice me. And there's some sense in which this is what we're invited into. Now, we could talk about the fact that the Lord sees us. The Lord sees us and rejoices in us. And uh, even a number of weeks ago in Wisdom, we talked about that deep reality. He cares about each of, and every one of us in all of our particularity, he cares. But in that, he allows us to work in order to bring light to him and to his people so that we relate in relationship to others as well. But we do it for him most in, uh, first and foremost. I, I would hope that we would actually be able to to move from this idea, one of the conversations about work is if you, if you do what you love, then it won't be work, right? Like this idea of find what you love and do that. And, and there are a lot of situations in, in which that's not a bad way to think about it. And probably most of us in this room have the opportunity to think in those terms. But probably for billions of people in this world, that's actually not the way they're able to think about work. It, it's just an opportunity to provide for and care for their, themselves and their family. I mean, I actually referenced two jobs that I did valeting cars and doing data entry uh, at two different children's hospitals, uh, randomly that it was those two places, but um, I didn't do those jobs because I love data entry or valeting cars. I, I did them because I was trying to provide for my family. I was doing it hopefully ultimately out of loving the Lord, but also caring for my family. And There'll be times when we are in those positions. There'll be times when we do have freedom to do what we love. But the encouragement is change it from do what you love to love whom you do it for. That, that should be the core motivation. Not do what you love, but love whom you do it for. And the call, if we're a follower of Jesus, is to do it for him. Matthew six 33. I'm going to turn there briefly tells us uh, that there's a temptation to to worry about all the things that work, our jobs might provide for us, that we might miss out on. And we're told to lay our treasures up in heaven, to not worry about those things of this world, because if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. That Ultimately, he's providing for us. Ultimately, we're trusting in him. Ultimately, we're doing the things for him. Because this is the basis of his relationship with us, is that he is the one who has done the work, not us. Our struggle with work is often to think that, again, it earns us our position. It earns us our place. Sometimes we do that very specifically with the Lord. If I work hard enough, if I do enough, and that could be in a spiritual sense or otherwise, then God will love me. And that is the exact opposite of the gospel. We find here in 15, verse 19, the way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. There is a clear understanding that one, nobody experiences a level highway in their work. And nobody is completely upright. The Bible tells us again and again that there is no upright. Psalm fourteen three, no one... There's no one who does good. Nobody is upright. Only, we're only able to be righteous, to be upright because of the work that God has done for us. We cannot do it on our own. And so we find that we look to him in his work. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. This is the work that God did. He had his body broken and his blood poured out. We're about to celebrate this at the Lord's Supper so that we might be made right with him. Because we're never going to get work right. We're never going to completely avoid laziness. We're never going to completely avoid our temptation to overwork. We're going to mess it up again and again and again. We talked about in Sunday school the the examples that are given to us in the scripture are people failing to live up to their end of the bargain. The people of God continually failing to live up to their end of the, the bargain. So God himself enters into the picture in Jesus Christ, and he brings hope for us, not based on anything that we've done, not based on our own work, but based on his. His work is ultimate and powerful, and it brings salvation to us. And so we ultimately trust in that. And that applies to all of life, the way that we work and rest, the way that we trust, the way that we think about life in relationship to him. And we're all able to do that. We're able to do that when we trust in him because of what he's done for us.